Open to the book of Ephesians chapter 1 as Chris comes uh, to read verses 1 to 6. Why don't we stand for the reading of God's word? Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you, Chris. Well, as we learned last week, uh, this letter was written by the Apostle Paul to the saints who are in Ephesus. Ephesus was a place uh, that certainly wasn't uh, different necessarily than now. I mean, certainly with modern technologies, but the heart of men was the same. They were giving over to idolatries, to materialism, to all kinds of sensuality. That was the context in which these believers lived, and Paul wanted to communicate the truth of the gospel the mystery of Christ and the church. And this letter was sent throughout uh, through Asia to encourage the churches. So as we study the book of Ephesians, it's in a sense written to us. It's God's word to us. Certainly Paul wrote it to the churches and it's to every church in every age as God wants to strengthen us. And in this book, Paul, in the first three chapters, is instructing us about who we are in Christ, our position in Christ, before we get to like the practicals of what that looks like, how we walk that out. And we're going to be jumping into the deep end right out of the, right out of the gate. Now, I feel like I've got like, like those floaties on swimming in the deep end because this is so deep to, to get to. And I just feel that, like we just need God's help as we unpack this wonderful truth about adoption and God choosing us to be part of his family. So I'm just going to pray because whenever we need help, uh, we should seek God. And it's okay if we just pray a lot. It's okay if someone says, hey, you guys pray too much. Uh, that's okay. I think that'd be a great critique for our church. So why don't we just go before the Lord again? Father, we need you. We need you as we seek to understand these wonderful, deep truths from your word. So I ask God that you fill me with your spirit. I ask God that you would soften our hearts to respond to this glorious truth that you have made us part of your family. We ask this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the text for us this morning begins in verse 3. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. We've been blessed with spiritual blessings. Now, certainly, our God is the source of all blessing. Physical, spiritual blessing. He provides for all of our needs. But in this particular passage, and we know, like, all good things come from him. But in this passage, he's talking about spiritual blessings. We've received spiritual blessings. What does that mean? It doesn't just sound like a really cool word. What that means, it's really unpacked in verses 3 to 14. So over the next three weeks, we are going to 
unpack some of the spiritual blessings that we find here. The spiritual blessing of adoption, of redemption that we see and forgiveness that we find in verse 7. Or of the fact that we have obtained an inheritance and been given the gift of the Holy Spirit as the guarantee of our inheritance. And many of these are certainly uh, uh, unpacked in in numerous ways. We, we receive hundreds of blessings that stem from these things, including the fruit of the Spirit that God, that God gives when we get His Spirit. So we're not going to exhaust all of the spiritual blessings that Paul is talking about, but we are going to dive deep into them as we, as we look at God's Word over the next number of weeks. So we are blessed with spiritual blessings, but this morning we are going to turn our attention to adoption. So blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons. So we, we are chosen to be a part of God's family. Now, as soon as we get to verse 4, even as he chose us in him, that immediately can get us to a place of, man, that's, well, how, how does this work? This choosing that we have. Well, God is a God who chooses. And the scriptures, if we were to take time, we could unpack so many things in the scriptures of we see God going and finding and choosing a people. He, he chose Abraham to obviously be the, the father of many nations. We see in the scriptures that God chose Moses in Psalm 105, 26. He sent Moses, the servant, Aaron, whom he had chosen. They were chosen to lead the people of God. God chose his people, not because they were a great number of people. The nation of Israel was actually a small people, but he chose them because he loved them. He chose David to be king. Even Jesus talked about choosing his disciples in John 15. He says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear much fruit. And in the book of Ephesians and in other New Testament texts, like, like 1 Peter 2, 9, you are a chosen race, a holy priesthood. We see that God takes initiative. Now, certainly there is mystery in the scriptures. If God, if God does some choosing of us. How is it that I, I remember I came to know him and, and I did make a choice to follow him. How is it that he chooses us? I'm just going to say right out of the gate. There, there is mystery in scripture and, and smarter men and women than I have debated these things and, and talked about them and tried to frame them and put them in a little box. But, but our God isn't put in a box. And there are, we could, we could spend our time on the debate that folks have, or we could, we could sit under this wonderful truth that regardless of who we are, what we bring to the table, God took initiative towards us. Our God isn't seated somewhere up there it, you know, on a mountaintop for us to try to figure out and find. 
No, our God is completely other because he is the only God and he took initiative. And look when he took initiative. Look back at verse four. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world. So that means for the foundation of the world. So before creation, God had thoughts of you. Before, before it was all put together. Lest you think you don't have significance in your life. Lest you wonder, is, is there something I need to be doing to get God's attention? No, before, before all of this, God took initiative. And we'll talk more about that and, and the depths of that. But why did he do it? He did it, it says, that we should be holy and blameless before him. We talked last week about being saints because this letter was written to the saints who are in Ephesus. Saints are those whom God has set apart to be separate, to be different. And we, we are called to be set apart and different, but not just because God's thought, I'm just going to come up with a bunch of rules for people to follow. No, God is, is making a statement saying, I'm, I'm setting you apart. You are special to me. I'm setting you apart to be holy and blameless. And that holy and blamelessness isn't, we can, we can look at that as like, okay, these are rules to follow because that's kind of how the world looks at us. Like, yeah, these are people that just follow rules. But when God refers to being holy and blameless, those are attributes that refer to his character. Our God says, I want you to be like me. I've set you apart to be like me. And that doesn't mean we aren't going to struggle as we walk through this life. I know I'm, I had that uh, a statement that uh, was made. You're either saints or ain'ts. I just want to qualify that or, 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 or clarify that. That doesn't mean that if, if you are a Christian, that means you got it all together and you do things perfectly. But God has called us to be set apart. So there should be a trajectory in our life of seeing growth in Christ. And sometimes we need our brothers and sisters in Christ to remind us that growth is happening. I don't know about you, but I tend to notice the ways I haven't grown. Or I feel like, I feel like I'm great at taking one step forward and like three steps back. Is that what you, do you feel like that? Oftentimes we do need to be in fellowship with, with others for them to go, no, hey, look here. Look how, look how God has moved in your life. Look how you have grown. God has been working in you. You feel conviction of sin. We'll talk about the Holy Spirit in a few weeks. I mean, the Spirit of God brings conviction. If you feel conviction about sin, it is evidence that God is working in you. Because ultimately, he is wanting to conform us to the image of his son. Romans 8.29 says, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. He's working in us. God is working in you. 
God is working in you. I want, I want that to be a phrase that is common in our small groups, that's common in our fellowship. When you see someone that's discouraged, go up to them and say, God, God is working in you. God is working in you. Lest you think it's just like recent, hey, let me take you back to this passage. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, he's been thinking about this for some time now. So it's, this isn't like just haphazard, like, oh, he, he's taking you on as a pet project. Yeah, I'm just, I'm going to work on that one. No, God is very intentional in calling you because of how amazing he is. So as we walk this holiness out, we simply just need to look for ways we see God's hand at work. Do you, do you feel conviction of sin? Or are you seeking to want to grow? Certainly we don't want a pattern in our life where we're pursuing hard after sin, but that doesn't mean you're not going to struggle. You will struggle. That's why we have fellowship with one another and stir one another up. And we have times where guys get together and gals get together to share our struggles with one another, encourage one another in the Lord and help one another grow in their walk with Jesus. And we do that because God has set us apart. It's far more significant than just, hey, a group of people that's hanging out. No, this, this has happened because of, of God's initiative and God has called us to be part of his family. Because look back again at verse four. At the end of verse four, it says, in love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. In love. In love. Why would it say in love? Because the picture is kind of like walking up to a room of, of children who need adopted. We, we can often think about adoption of like, well, well, God's walked up to the room and he's just wanted to pick out like the cute ones. Like, oh, oh yeah, that one, that one looks really, I, well, I'm, I'm looking for a, a girl with this color hair, or maybe looking for a, a boy. No, I'm, I'm just looking. It says in love because because when you walk up to the room, there, there aren't any good-looking kids in the room. In fact, these kids hate the one who, who is coming to the room to, to get them, to get them to out of the room. They would rather stay in the room. But no, he comes and, and he, he brings us into his family. The term here is referring to the, the process in the Roman world in which a child was brought into a new family. 
When, when they're brought into the new family, the child takes on the name of the new family, takes on all of the benefits and rights of the family, and this will be unpacked over the next number of weeks, even as we look at some of the other uh, uh, spiritual blessings that we are given. Because these aren't necessarily separate spiritual blessings. They all kind of blend together. We experience the benefit of that. But it wasn't some cold, dispassionate choice. It wasn't like God looked at the room and just said, ah, just roll the dice. No, there was, there was an intentionality of God to put you in his family. And there was a delight in him. In the, in the original language, there's, there's more nuance than what it says here, according to the purpose of his will. Because some of the different translations translate it slightly different, not because some of the people figured it out and others of them different. I think we have a, a slide. We can see here the ESV translates it according to the purpose of his will. The New American Standard translates it according to the kind intention of his will. The CSB translates it according to the good pleasure of his will. The NIV says accordance with his pleasure and will. So which one gets it right? They all do. Because oftentimes the, in the original text, the Greek doesn't fully translate into our English language. And there's this sense of goodwill. There's this sense of like God's delight. Like think of a smile on his face. If angry children that don't want to be adopted, that say, stay away from me. And he's like excited. There's this like excitement from him of like, I am going to put them in my family. There's delight and joy and intense satisfaction to bring, to bring them in to the family. I mean, even think how God chose his people. If you were, I'm just going to flip back really quick to, to Deuteronomy chapter 7. So uh, I'm just going to read verses 6 to 8. So this is, it says, for, for you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. Out of all the peoples who were on the face of the earth, it was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord has set his love on you and chose you. For you are the fewest of all the peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you. So we see this disposition in God, part of his character from early on in the scriptures. And we are now beneficiaries of his love. This is his, his heart attitude towards us. It brought him good pleasure. He was was. We want to bless him because of our adoption. Because, you know, it's in verse 6, it says, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. That his blessing is poured out because of his kind and loving intention. We, we need to live in the good of that, friends. You know, I, I see this on display. I see this illustrated when 
I've had the privilege of going to uh, the court system when a child is adopted. Uh, it is it is such a living illustration and a testimony to a lost and dying world that there's a God and that he, he adopts his children and he displays his love to them. Because when, when I'm there, I, I see this in every, I've seen this with every single judge who has presided over the hearing. Certainly the hearing comes and they ask questions of the child who's being adopted if they're old enough to answer the questions and they're interacting and there's some formality to it and there's lots of smiling and crying and pictures being taken that are happening. The legal proceedings get done and the child is adopted into the family. But there's something that every judge says. They don't use these words, but you can see it on their faces. They're like, this kid has just won the lottery. This kid has just won the lottery. This kid has no way to comprehend the magnitude of what is happening in their life. And why do, why do all the judges say that with their, with their facial features? It's because day in and day out, they preside over cases in which families are fighting over the rights of kids sometimes for the financial benefit of having those kids in their home. And sometimes they know there are kids there. They're trying to preside over putting a kid in a place that's the lesser of two evils. And they just see a life of destruction and hurt and, and things that are torn. And it's just discouraging for them. And they can feel that time and again. But when a when a Christian family comes and their, their brothers and sisters and family members come and then, and then their church family comes and just packs out the courtroom, those judges are like, wow. Wow. And friends, that's the response that God wants us to have about our adoption. He wants us to, to grasp the significance of what has happened, that he has adopted us into his family. And us spending time in this letter is for us to soak in the truths of what has happened, that God has brought us into his family so that we can have a perspective of it, so that we can live in the good of it. It makes such a difference to know that we are in Christ. What does that mean? How does that set us free? Because we've won the lottery. God loved you so much. God loved me so much. God loved us so much that before creation, he knew that in his creation that the people would reject him, but that he would choose us to be part of his family before the foundation of the world. And he knew that it would 
cost him his son. He knew that God incarnate would have to come in the flesh to go to the cross to pay the penalty for our sin to make this adoption possible. Because there's only one agency in which we can become part of God's family. And that agency is through Christ, in Christ, because of the blood of Jesus Christ. And if you've placed your trust in Christ, you are found in Christ and, and you have access now and you are a part of God's family. We could just sit and soak in that truth. God has made you part of his family, not by accident, but by intention. Now, I understand as we come to a text like this, you might be saying, all right, how, how does this work? Again, there, there is mystery in the scriptures. The secret things belong to God. Even though we may not know why, all the reasons why, God has brought us into his family. Um, Charles Spurgeon makes sense of it this way. He's like, the thought struck me. He said, how did I come to be a Christian? I sought the Lord, but how did you come to seek the Lord? The truth flashed across my mind in a moment. I should not have sought him unless there had been some previous influence in my mind to make me seek him. I prayed, I thought, but then I asked myself, how came I to pray? I was induced to pray by reading the scriptures. How came I to read the scriptures? I did read them, but what led me to do so? Then in a moment, I saw that God was at the bottom of it all, and he was the author of my faith, so that the doctrine of grace opened to me, and from that doctrine, I have not departed to this Day, and I desire to make this my constant confession. I ascribe my chains wholly to God. Our faith is not as a result of works so that no one may boast. But there is a mystery in Scripture. So some might say, well, if God's, if God's brought us into his family, then, then maybe I don't need to share the gospel. Because if God's just God's just electing people. Why would I share the gospel? Well, you know, let's, if you turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 10. So the writer of Romans chapter 10, and, and actually the whole letter of the book of Romans is Paul. Remember, he's the guy who wrote the letter to the Ephesians. So Paul says this in, in chapter 10, uh, verse nine. He says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, 
you will be saved. Okay, we confess with our mouth. That's something that I'm going to do. And then in verse 13, he says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And going on, verse 14, he says, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. And then jump down to verse 17. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Boy, that sounds pretty clear that there's a need for us to share the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and a clear call for us to share Christ in the midst of a dark world like Ephesus. Same guy's writing that who is writing this letter that we're studying. How do we reconcile all that? I don't know. There is mystery in the scriptures. God certainly calls us to account for our sinfulness. And if one doesn't respond to Christ, there is an eternity apart from him. But yet God in his infinite wisdom and goodness draws us to himself. Just like some of you, as soon as you walk out this room after church are going to be drawn because there's an aroma that's coming from, from the gym, right? Because people have made food and some of you already smelled it this morning. You're like, I, I don't even know if I want to leave my house because I smell this aroma. God has the aroma of Christ that draws us to, re, to respond. Now some might say, well, that seems harsh that God would just choose some people and not other people. And, and I wrestled with that for a long time. And again, in this truth and in this doctrine, godly people who love Jesus and proclaim the gospel can think differently on, on how God chooses and still fellowship together and worship together but yeah, this amazing truth, it, it, did, it did struggle with it. Like, how is it? Is God just like, you know, God's just sitting up there just saying, you know, I'm not going to let these people in and, and I'm going to let these other people in. And then I came across this quote from, from an author. His name's Mark Webb. He was teaching a class and he said this. He said, after giving a brief survey of these doctrines of sovereign grace, I I asked for questions from the class. One lady in particular was quite troubled. She said, this is the most awful thing I have ever heard. You make it sound as if God is intentionally turning away men who would be saved, receiving only the elect. I answered her in this vein. You must understand the situation. You are visualizing that God is standing at the door of heaven and men are thronging to get in the door. And God is saying to the various ones, yes, you may come, but not you or you or you. The situation is hardly this. Rather, God stands at the door of heaven with his 
arms outstretched, inviting all to come. He's inviting all to come. Yes, all men, without exception, are running in the opposite direction towards hell as hard as they can go. So God, in election, graciously reaches out and stops this one. And he stops that one over there. And and, and then one over there. And effectually draws them to himself by changing their hearts, making them willing to come. Election keeps no one out of heaven who would otherwise have been there. But it keeps a whole multitude of sinners out of hell who would have otherwise been there. Were it not for election, heaven would be an empty place and hell would be bursting at the seams. That kind of response, grounded as I believe that it is in scriptural truth, does put a different complexion on things, doesn't it? He says this hard thing. He said, if you perish in hell, blame yourself as it is entirely your fault. But if you should make it to heaven, credit God that it is entirely his work To him alone belong all praise and glory for salvation is all of grace from start to finish. Friends, this this truth of God's intention in our lives of bringing us into his family is not meant to puff us up in any way. As, as As if we should be arrogant that we are more special than others. It should humble us. As I come to this text, I'm reminded of what I was like prior to knowing Christ. I feel like though though the practicals of the ministry that God's called me to is different than what Charles Spurgeon was called to, I feel like I have the same story. I was running headlong in the other direction, had my own plan for my life. I knew what it was going to look like. I knew I was going to get there, and it was all about me. And God arrested me and showed me the condition of my soul apart from his grace. And he saved me. And it it humbles me as it should humble us that our God would be so merciful. We want to take credit. We live in one of the most individualistic societies that the world has known. It's all about us. But the gospel and his grace and his bringing us into his family is all about him. And you know what? That sets us free to evangelize because then we realize it's not all on the way we craft the phrases to say just the right thing so that they could become a Christian because we know it's about the power of the gospel. It's in the message. It's, it's God that does the work. We are simply the vehicles. Knowing that we've been brought in the family Sets us free so we don't have to, okay, I got to do this thing so that God's going to love me today. God loved you before you were you. 
God loved you before these trees existed. Before the air that you breathe existed. Before the water that you see existed. It should help you to just know. Like when we say you are loved, that's not just a fun thing to say. Like you are loved. Because in love, he made you part of his family. We have been made part of his family. And the emphasis isn't so much on this particular doctrine of election. The emphasis as we go through verses four and six, or even through verse 14 and beyond, it's on God's grace. It's on God's love. It's in God's will. It's in God's purposes. Because he made you, he made us part of his family. And I, I get the truth that we find here. There's, there's still questions that arise. How, how do, we aren't going to resolve them all in one week. We're going to try to answer questions over time and have dialogue in our small groups and with one another, stir one another up. There may be many unresolved problems. But understanding God putting us into his family, not because of anything in us, nothing. The worst of sinners changes the way we think about living. Why would I want to live set apart? Because I am set apart. Just walking out my identity. That's who I am. I have been set apart. So why would I want to engage in sin? Because that's not who I am. Or, or worship. Coming to worship isn't like, I don't know if I want to sing out loud. No, like I can't wait because I'm here. I shouldn't be here. I shouldn't be here. I should not be here. You should not be here. When we come every Sunday, like we're walking in the door, we're like, these people shouldn't be here. They shouldn't be here. But we're here. We're here by the amazing grace of God. So we don't boast, but we bow. And friends, a God who, who would choose us before time existed, if he would choose us before time existed, that God is never going to leave us or forsake us. When he called your name, you know how we sing that song, call my name. I ran out of that grave. That's why that's so good. Because I was dead and now I'm alive. He's our father and he's a good, good father. So brothers and sisters, even as we struggle, when we grasp this, 
it changes everything. It's going to change the way we relate to one another. Man, it sure changes how it looks when we're going to go fellowship with one another because none of us should be there, but we're here. Yeah, we come with all of the differences, just like any family that has adopted children from different places. You know, they got issues that they bring to the table, but you know what's the same? They all have the same name. And our Heavenly Father has abundant love. And he has the power to change us, and he doesn't leave us or forsake us. Let's pray. Father, there are so many things we could say, so many things we could talk about. Father, I ask that you would settle our hearts right now to just to receive the goodness of being found in you. Lord, in love, in love, you predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of your will. to the praise of your glorious grace with which you have blessed us in the beloved. I ask God that we would tangibly experience this blessing of knowing that we are found in you. There may be some who are here this morning who... God is drawing your heart. He's calling you out of the place that you are to follow him. Don't resist his call. The blessings of being in his family are great. The enemy wants to lie to you, tell you it's all about a bunch of rules and it's, it's not gonna be good. And oh, that's such a lie. The spiritual blessings in which he bestows are not only experienced in this life, but for all of eternity. So you can respond and come to him this morning. So Father, would you lead us this morning to respond to the truths in this passage as we sing. And we, I ask this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't we respond in song?